Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Would you be ready to dive into the Word with me this morning into what I believe is one of Paul's most convicting one of his most convicting portions of his writings. And I've been looking forward to this text for the last several weeks and getting ready to share it with you. If you're able to remain standing for the Word of God as it's read, would you look with me at verse number 12 of Philippians chapter number 1. This is God's Word. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. This is God's word. Would you pray with me one more time before we get into the message? Gracious Father, I ask for your spirit's work, his enabling work, his empowering work. I ask that your spirit would move, that he would drive deeply into our hearts the word of God. That he would drive deeply into our hearts the things of God. That he would make much of Christ in our hearts over these next few moments. Our time today may be brief. Maybe that in just a little while we'll go on our way, but Lord, I pray that your word would abide in our heart. The truth would linger beyond a service this morning. We ask this in the majestic name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. We have witnessed over the last over the last couple Sundays, we've witnessed the love and care of Paul towards these Philippian Christians. We've seen his love, his gratitude for them, and his prayer for them. This Philippian church was humanly started by Paul. It was birthed by a river on the Sabbath, where some ladies had gathered to pray. Paul and Silas and their team had gone to this riverside. And there they desired to pray on the Sabbath. And there it was that at this place, that the gospel was shared, and where Lydia received Christ. That was followed by her household, 
Then for sure we know of a jailer and his household coming to Christ. Here it was in this Philippian city, the city of Philippi, that this church was born. This congregation wasn't just birthed by Paul. They loved Paul. They supported him financially. And it was not just their love for him, but their deep affection for him that caused them to want to give to Paul, to bless Paul, to to be a partaker, as he said last week, as we saw, a partaker in his grace. It's in Philippians chapter 4 that we find this, this support. When Paul writes these words in verse 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Verse 14, he continues in chapter 4, and he says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and am, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. That text right there in chapter 4 of Philippians is a reminder to you of a church that is passionate to support the work of the gospel going forth. Because of the financial and affectionate support that Paul has received, Paul desires to be accountable to these believers. He also wants them to know how he's personally doing. I mean, they've given of their own possessions to bless Paul. And Paul wants them to understand for what that that provision has done and has gone to. I think as a pastor today, one of the things I need to make sure that you're clear of is that as believers, and specifically for me as a pastor, is that gospel partnership happens through a commitment for the same cause and a humble submission to one another. It's in 1 Corinthians 9 that Paul states this. He says, even so they, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. This simply is a reminder to you and I that those that preach the gospel, if a church can financially afford to, that they should care for pastors and missionaries who labor in the word. It really speaks so much into what it means for me as a, as a pastor, as an elder, as a bishop of the church, that this church cares financially for my well-being so that I can spiritually care for the well-being of the flock of God. But that means also that pastors like me and missionaries like our church supports, are, are, we are accountable to those who give of their, their possessions to steward well the possession that is given. Oftentimes people will say, well, how much should a pastor make? I think the best way to answer that is a pastor should, make, should not make so much that he is now laboring to be rich. 
On the other end, a pastor should not be worried on a Monday or a Tuesday how he's going to care for his family because he is so underpaid. Trust me, this is not comfortable for me to preach as much as it's probably not comfortable for you to hear. But the truth is this, my friends, is that churches should financially care for pastors and elders if it can. While at the same time, pastors should not live in such a way that is, that is so distant from the reality of how their congregation lives. On the same token, we give and you give every Sunday to the financial well-being of missionaries around the world who have preached the gospel and who are currently preaching the gospel. And hear me, this church absolutely necessitates accountability. Where do we get that pattern from this passage right here? Paul has been financially cared for, and he now is offering accountability. Paul, in his preaching, should be cared for. Those that preach should receive spiritual financial care from the body, but they should never use their ministry as a pretentious, prideful, and self-promoting scheme. Paul would rather not be paid. He would rather not be paid and ultimately die for the gospel than to be paid and to be boastful in his ministry. He simply expresses here, he simply expresses that Christ should be preached. That Christ should be preached. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 15, Verse 16, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. That's the apostle's heart. Knowing that, knowing all that I've said, gives us some good background into the person who's writing here. This is a humble, gospel-loving apostle. Have you ever met somebody or read about somebody who blew you away by their commitment to a cause or a message that was greater than themselves? Are you with, are you with me? Are you listening this morning? There are many historical figures that come to my mind. So specifically this week, on Friday, excuse me, on Thursday, our nation remember the 75th anniversary of D-Day and Normandy Beach. Historian Alex Kershaw referred to June 6, 1944 as the most important day in human history. Christians know that is not the case. But the fact that a major historian from the 21st century, looking back to 1944, would say that that was the most important day in human history, that, 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 that there was such importance of this day, that it draws our attention to what happened on that now famous D-Day. That now, 75 years later, and memorialized in France every five years, that those that were there that served in this battle of D-Day it was these men that, and, and, and those that served are now in their early 90s that in five years, many of them, should they tarry, will be in their mid to upper 90s. These men, these young boys, I couldn't imagine as an 18, 19, 20 year old, I couldn't imagine knowing in that moment 
that I was going to embark on an incredible journey. If you don't believe the weight of this, read President Eisenhower, then General Eisenhower's letter. Read, read President Franklin Roosevelt's uh, radio address just hours before, knowing what was going to happen. He knew the battle. He knew what was going to happen. And speaking to the American public who had no idea, read those words, the weight of this moment. It was a cause greater than these young men would ever know. And that in this moment, 1,213 allied ships, 7,000 ships, 4,000 ships containing young men, in the darkest hours of that moment, of those, on that day, paratroopers, 24,000 paratroopers landing behind the Nazi regime. And then in just a little while, 132,000 allied troops would begin storming this beach. You say, why bring all this up in church? Because it's a picture to you and I, it's a picture to you and I of what it means to be driven by a cause greater than yourself. That on that day, 4,400 troops died. 9,000 more were wounded. An operation that was a massive success. Not immediately, but over time. The whole point, if you look back, as these young men begin to go about the the, 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 the pursuit of, of liberating Western Europe and Europe in general from Adolf Hitler, from Nazism, from the Third Reich. The human cost was merely a down payment to further freedom. Say, so why bring this up? Because it's a picture of what we see from Paul in this passage. Paul has the same commitment. And I believe that comes out of the key phrase in this passage, the furtherance of the gospel. The furtherance of the gospel. In Normandy, on Omaha Beach, in Idaho Beach, in that, on those beaches, those beaches there in France, it was the furtherance of freedom. It was a liberation of people who were under tyranny, wicked, evil tyranny. And Paul's passion here in this text is the furtherance of the gospel. The entire text is a centeredness on that gospel. Its focus is there. Hear me very carefully. It draws our attention to that focus. It draws our eyes and our mind and our heart to be centered on the gospel. The title of the message today, Gospel Fervency. Gospel Fervency. I want you to see how that's expressed in three, state, three, three points today. Number one, I want you to see the gospel, the gospel and my circumstances. The gospel and my circumstances. Look with me there in verse 12 of chapter 1. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Stop there. What are these circumstances? What are these things that have happened? It's the circumstances that take place in the end of the book of Acts. This would include a riot, a two-year imprisonment of the apostle in Caesarea, 
an appeal of the apostle to Caesar, the threat on his life, a shipwreck on the way to Rome, house arrest and restricted freedom, and an impending trial in Rome. These are the things which have happened unto Paul. You see in chapter 28 of Acts, you can see there the end of this, this, this book of Acts. Hear the words and here's, here's what Luke writes. He says, and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. This furtherance of the gospel You see, all of this has happened. All of that took place in this text. Are you with me? All that took place in this text for the furtherance of the gospel. Shipwreck for the furtherance of the gospel. A riot, furtherance of the gospel. Injustice and wrongly treated, the furtherance of the gospel. Imprisonment in Caesarea, the furtherance of the gospel. House arrest, furtherance of the gospel. This is that Christ-centered focus that we speak of. Paul's love for gospel advancement is greater than his need for comfort. It's greater than his dreams coming to fruition. It's greater than him getting the job or the house or the car or the lifestyle he wants. Gospel advancement was what was on his mind. Therefore, Paul saw suffering from a gospel perspective. He saw inconvenience. From a gospel perspective. Why? Because what he loved drove his perspective. Maybe a way I could say it. Are you with me this morning? What was Paul's affection drove his perspective. And what your affection is today, what you're pursuing today, will drive your perspective. And so, Paul can write to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Almost at the end of his life, he writes these words. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God was not bound. You see, Christians, with a gospel perspective, understand this. That Paul might have been imprisoned, but the word of God was not. You might be in, in, in prison today. You might be under difficult circumstances today. You might not have the life that you thought it would be today. You might be going through hardship today. Your marriage might be in a place you never thought it would be. Your kids might be in a place you never thought they would be. Your physical well-being might be in a place you never thought it would be. Your financial well-being, and we could go on and on. Your circumstances might not be what you want, but hear me, my friends. You might feel bound, but the Word of God is never bound. This is a gospel perspective. This is a Christ-centered mindset. According to verse 13, Paul had a captive audience there in the palace. He had a captive audience. Because in that audience, there were soldiers... There were people that worked there. One Bible scholar says that there would have been about 9,000 Roman guards that would have visited that praetorium, that palace, that place where Paul was. 9,000 guards who in our day for eight hours were stuck with the apostle who was no, who had no shame in preaching Jesus to everybody who would hear. Paul's going, hey guys, you can't go anywhere and neither can I, so you got to hear me. 
And when you and I find ourselves in that place, I would ask you today, is your affection for Jesus driving your focus and your fervency for the gospel? All too while in our Western lifestyle, circumstances bring an attitude and a good pointed question to ask ourselves this morning. Do I have a bad attitude right now about my circumstances that is limiting the furtherance of the good news of Jesus? Is there something in my life for which I am frustrated and bothered and anxious and irritated and even angry with God over that is limiting the furtherance of the good news of Jesus? Peter O'Brien, a world-renowned Australian biblical scholar who is currently in his 80s, shares his testimony growing up in Australia as an unbeliever. Neither one of his parents were believers. O'Brien shares a testimony how his mother became greatly impacted by the faithful witness of a neighbor. This neighbor was a very simple and humble lady with a sincere faith in Christ who unfortunately lived with an incurable disease and suffered every single day. You know, O'Brien says that his mom told him, I've never heard her complain. Her attitude and witness made an incredible impact on O'Brien's mom, who eventually, because of the witness of this lady in prison, figuratively in prison, this lady led O'Brien's mom to the Lord Jesus. O'Brien's mother became a Christian, and now Christians have reaped the great benefit of that one lady, that one quiet, humble lady, who that neighbor lady who in her prison decided to not let the word of God be bound up, but she was going to let it speak freely. And Peter O'Brien, who has blessed the church for, for, for decades now, came to Christ because of a lady in prison who said, my prison is going to be a platform to proclaim Jesus. And so it is in the prisons of this life that we have the opportunity to proclaim Christ the most. You see, people don't connect best with my highlight reel and your highlight reel. They don't connect best to us when we're struggling. People connect best with our pain and our scars and our prisons and our trouble. And hear me, my friends, that is the best opportunity to proclaim Jesus. See, Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Colossians 4, he says, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I, might, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Both times written from prison, both times not ideal circumstances, yet Paul says, I'm in bonds. Pray that I would speak as I ought to speak in this moment. Maybe this should be our prayer this week. Maybe my prayer, your prayer should be, Lord, this is not what I envisioned. But in this moment, help me to manifest the gospel and that I may speak as I ought to speak. Like the Lord draw us so close that in these seasons of life that are difficult, infuriating, frustrating, painful, that we might be fervent in the gospel. But Then what we find in verse 14, if you look back there with me, is we find... Paul speaking here and he says, 
It's because of my bonds. It's because of being in prison that many of the brethren in the Lord are waxing confident. And much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Paul says, not only have I been able to preach the gospel, but hear me very carefully. Paul says this, he says, because I am in prison, some others have risen up and they are now being bold with the gospel. What happened? Paul's imprisonment in his ministry, because he did not begin to whine and sulk and pout, Paul began to encourage others who then said, you know what? Paul's not out here traveling. I've got to go preach the gospel. You know, Paul can't be in the synagogue. I'm going to go to the synagogue. Paul can't do what what he used to do. So you know what? I'm going to step up. And Paul says, they would never have stepped up if I wasn't in bonds. To those in this church, maybe who you are, you cannot do what you once did and you feel sometimes like you're, you're not able to give the Lord what you once, what you once gave and how you once served. Can I encourage you? Be encouraging to a younger generation who might step into where you have left and pray that there's a void that is filled so more gospel proclamation can happen. I'll say it like this. Please receive this the best. The best way possible, I mean it. It's why a younger generation should not look down on an older generation. At the same time, an older generation, please don't look down on a younger generation because both of us need each other. Do you hear me? We need each other. Paul says, I'm in bonds. But others are out there preaching. We're going to see more about how that expresses in a minute. But I want you to see, secondly, I want you to see the gospel, not only the gospel in my circumstances, but the gospel in my critics. The gospel and my critics. Now this seems intriguing. Because part of this flourishing evangelism, part of what's happened with Paul's suffering and imprisonment, means for Paul... There's a hard pill to swallow. Are you with me? There's a hard pill to swallow. He gets very personal. Notice in verse 15. He says this. Some indeed preach Christ. Who are the some? The ones who have become more bold because of his bonds. He said some of those that I'm very thrilled to see are stepping up. Some of them preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some of them also preach of goodwill. He goes on. This is where it gets intriguing. He says, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of the sum of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And so here's what he says here. He's writing to accomplish two things in this moment. And I want you, if you're church family, I want you to hear me. He's helping the Philippian Christians to have a big picture view of gospel ministry. A big picture view. He's saying, I'm in bonds. Those out there have become more bold. And in their boldness, some of them preach in a way that they want to make me jealous of them. They want to make me upset with them. They don't like me. And they're doing so to make me frustrated because they're out there preaching and I'm in prison. They think that they're harming me. 
They're glad that I'm not on the stage like I used to be. Maybe they're younger guys who are going, it's good for the older generation to get out of the way. Let us do church the way church should be done. We know Paul's not going to like what we're doing, so we're, we're glad he's in bonds. And we're going to do it to make Paul angry. You see what's happening here. These people don't like what Paul's doing, or they don't like Paul, so he gives them a big picture view of gospel ministry. The second thing is, he does not want them to let the Philippian Christians, he doesn't want them to let petty division creep in. What do you mean by that, Pastor? There might be some in the Philippian church who go, hey, we kind of like those guys that don't like Paul. Hey, we don't like those guys because they don't like Paul. Paul says, no, we're on one team here. This is Team Jesus. Old, young, doing church the way you want it. Don't do it the way you the way doing it the way you don't want it. Doesn't we're all on the same team. Paul says they think that they're making me angry and jealous. They're doing it of strife and envy. But hear me very carefully. A love for the gospel and a fervency for the gospel does not let us have a small view. Or even a divided view of gospel ministry. They love Paul. These Philippian Christians love Paul. And he's thankful for that. But these critics are not the enemy. Do you hear that? The critics are not the enemy. And so let's be clear of something. Paul's not talking about false teachers. Paul's not talking about people who would distort the gospel. There's one response to them, Galatians chapter 1. Those that preach a false gospel, Paul says, let them be accursed. These men are not preaching a false gospel. So what is it? What it is, is these in the Roman body, Paul didn't birth this body. We have to take the origins of the Roman church all the way back to the day of Pentecost. Paul didn't found the church at Rome. What happens is Paul comes in as a prisoner and Acts 28 tells us people start coming to see Paul. And so maybe quite possibly the pastors and elders and bishops and deacons are now jealous of Paul. But the point is very simple here. I don't want to get into what it might mean. The point is simple. Some preach Christ. Hoping to add affliction to Paul. Some preach out of goodwill with pure motives. The whole point though is that Paul's fervency for the gospel is not connected to people loving him or loathing him. And hear me, Paul's fervency for the gospel is not even connected people who do things or don't do things the way that Paul wants them done. Now this is where in, in, in 2019... And and, and, and I want you to hear this and receive very carefully. An older generation is concerned about a younger generation. And what are they going to do with the gospel? How are they going to treat church? And, And rightfully so in a church like ours. Listen very closely. There are many in this church who have paid an incredible price for this church for the last 30, 40 years. There have been many over the last 127 who have fought very hard to keep these doors open. But hear me very carefully. 
So those of you that are a part of that, you have done so so that you can be a part of encouraging a younger generation to keep going. And so Paul says here, he says, some are doing out of goodwill. And by the way, the danger is when the younger say, you know what, some of you all ought to let us do church the way we think church should be done. And then the older look down on the younger and go, oh, you're just a cute little kid. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. We have to be careful of both extremes. Of both extremes. We need each other. And Paul says, there are people out there that don't like how I've done things. And Paul, here what Paul does. Or actually what he doesn't do. What Paul never does is Paul never, ever says, I don't like what they're doing. Sometimes your disagreement for how somebody does gospel ministry needs to stay between you and the Lord. Paul's not going, I love everything about what they're doing. Paul says, what they're doing What they're doing, my critics are doing, are doing it for the furtherance of the gospel. For the furtherance of the gospel. I'm afraid sometimes that churches, churches begin to become so issue-oriented that they now become contingent on the approval or the disapproval of others. But gospel fervency means there will be times when you'll have the, the more, when, when you'll, when you'll have the opportunity to be more passionate about the gospel than defending your own self from critics. And by the way, this church does not exist for me to defend or to criticize. This church exists for me as a pro, as a preacher of the word of God to proclaim the gospel. To draw you to the gospel. Not my idea of the gospel. Not my idea of church. Not what I think church should be. It shouldn't be my pet idea of church. It shouldn't be the songs that I like or the, the way that it's done. Why don't we do this? What We stop doing this. What Can we do this? It's not about any of the peripheral. We all have our peripheral. It's about the gospel. The gospel. The gospel. The gospel produces in us, as a church and as individuals, a strong identity in Christ that fortifies us from criticism, which can be deflating. The gospel also fortifies us to be in constant recognition of Jesus when we become prideful. Simply put, the gospel makes us both humble and praised And confident when criticized. Don't miss that. The gospel makes us humble when praised. And confident when criticized. The gospel is the only thing strong enough to give you a fortified, durable identity. Not just you, but a church. But a church as well. A church like ours that is more consumed with the gospel than the way we do church. And so that leads to number three. The third statement, the last. It becomes the gospel and my cheer. So it's first the gospel and my circumstances. Then it's the gospel and my critics. And then it's the gospel and my cheer. What do you mean by that? Paul says in Philippians 1, look at verse 18. What then? He says, what do I have to say about this? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth. 
Christ is preached. And therein do rejoice, yea, will rejoice. The idea of rejoice is literally that. Stay with me. It is to rejoy always. Always rejoying. Always to be in a place of joy. Paul says they thought, if I can give you the progression, my circumstances cannot rob me of joy because the gospel is furthering. People who don't like what I do cannot rob me of joy because unbeknownst to them, the gospel still goes forward. And so, what do I do then? Whether in pretense, what do I mean? Under bad motives or in truth, on good motives. The way that I don't want it to be or the way I want it to be. Either way, Paul says, I rejoice because Christ is preached. Gospel fervency. Gospel fervency. The reason for Paul's joy is Christ. Regardless of the messenger, regardless of how the messenger proclaims the message of Christ, Paul rejoiced and will continue to. One would preach with pretense, being a little more showy. One would do things that maybe we don't like. Maybe it's an impure motive. Paul says, Christ has preached. One would preach with a more truthful, pure motive. Paul says, great, Christ has preached. You see, when my joy is connected to Jesus, when my joy is connected to Jesus, and then when Jesus is proclaimed, under any circumstance, my joy is only strengthened. This is evidence of gospel fervency. This is keeping the main thing the main thing. And Paul wanted these Christians to be reminded of this. Well, well, they do it differently than we do it. Hear me. I'd rather, I'd rather people proclaim Jesus 60% of the way that I would do it than to not proclaim Him at all. I'd rather people Proclaim, and by the way, usually the ones who are consumed with negativity about how people are proclaiming Jesus are usually silent on the sideline, not proclaiming at all. And so you can be mad about how churches do church. If you are, then ramp up and proclaim Jesus. If not, please be excited for them. Amen. For our church, and for every believer here, if we're not careful, we will become so consumed with the how, the why, and to the what extent that Christians and pastors and churches preach Christ. And we become so consumed with the how and the why that we fail to see the what. And that is that Christ is preached. Let me be honest with you. Okay, can I be honest with you? There are people all over the city who on peripheral matters do things differently than maybe I would do them. Here's the good thing about it. That's okay. That's okay. Because if Christ is being preached, I, we, should rejoice. We should rejoice. If Christ is preached, 
We should be careful about qualifiers like, well, they're not like us. Very prideful statement that says that we have it all together. Do they preach Jesus? That's the question that matters. Let's conclude with some thoughts on gospel focus and we'll be done today. On gospel focus and fervency. Stay with me, it's just a brief, brief moment. There are a lot of matters to which people are giving their time and attention in 2019. Every day, stay with me because I could, I could give examples and you're probably going to let them run through your head. Every day, there's a trending topic for which people, which somebody wants my passion and my fervency. Every day, there's something calling me to be angry or excited about something. You and I might not be in prison today like Paul. Our circumstances might not even be different. But I will say this. There's something that a culture has called you to react to for which you should probably not react. Or you should react with wisdom because it is not the main thing. The call to believers is for us to main focus and fervency in a chaotic world in which we live. When Paul wrote this, he wasn't battling DirecTV, YouTube, Hulu, Netflix, iPhones, Galaxy, social media. He wasn't battling the news media and outlets of the day. He wasn't battling that. In fact, he was in prison suffering while other believers were out suffering. But his fervency is a reminder to you and I and his focus is a reminder to all believers that although today there might be worthy causes for which you should be both alarmed and alert to, the focus of all believers must remain the same. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Be alarmed. Be alert. But when we put an issue of culture over the answer to culture, we have just made the issue and our response the prescription. And there's one prescription for a broken society. And that is the gospel. Be careful reacting. Be careful overreacting. And if your response to an issue does not first drive you to your knees in prayer for people to be saved and transformed by the good news of Jesus. If we believe the scripture that it is the way of salvation, it is the power of God unto eternal life, then you and I have placed some other means over the gospel. And so much we have said that the means is now the gospel and not the saving word of Jesus that is the gospel. It is the gospel. It is the gospel. Study, it is not only the gospel, but it is gospel-loving believers who have brought reform and change to cultures and cities. It is the work of the gospel-loving Christians that have been historically what has brought momentous, momentous reform to a people. 
And so the message of Jesus must be our bullseye. It must be our bullseye. Stay with me. It must be our bullseye. Your argument on that is never with me. Your argument is with the word of God. If the word of God is sufficient, when Paul says that I rejoice that Christ is preached, the, re- the implication is that when Christ is preached, things change. So, is Jesus your bullseye today? Is Jesus your focus today? Is Jesus your response? Are you in prison? Figuratively? Are you in a prison? Paul believes and commends to you that you're there for the furtherance of the gospel. You might ask the why. Why am I do- Why is God allowing this? Paul says for the furtherance of the gospel. Are you being criticized and scorned of the people that don't like what you do as a believer? And by the way, when you speak out as a Christian in 2019, somebody won't like you. And so in that moment, Paul says it's for the furtherance of the gospel. And it's that furtherance of the message and the way of Jesus that is to bring joy for the Christian. My joy is not connected to somebody's response to me, to somebody's response to Jesus. My joy is simply connected to Jesus being proclaimed. Do it better than me? Awesome. Do it louder than me? Awesome. Do it in a different way than me, but do it great. Praise God. Praise God. But Jesus is the message. Say, Pastor, can you summarize? I'll give you three summaries to how I believe. Here's what it is. What is our church? Why are we here? What do I believe? Here's what I believe. It's on the screen. Gospel above all. It's priority. It's the priority. Gospel before all, it's in the supremacy. And hear me, gospel for all. Gospel above all. Pastor, can you talk about some of these things? Gospel before all. And gospel for all. That means it's my call and your call to take the gospel to all people. If your first conversation with an unbeliever is something of significance in our day, great. But please, the significant message is Jesus Christ lived, died, was buried, and rose again. And because he did, all who believe on Christ can be saved. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.